Over the last several months, the Lord has really been laying on our hearts as leaders that our church needs to place prayer in a more prominent position. Now, I'm sure if you've been going to churches for any length of period of time, you realize that that request is often made known uh, to the congregants by the leadership. Hey, we just need to pray more. We need to pray more. We're not doing our jobs. We need to pray more. And I find that the method that many churches have used to perpetuate prayer within their church have fallen flat because they use elements like guilt and condemnation rather than encouragement and invitation. So what we did as a leadership is we began to pray more. We committed to one another that we were going to pray not only together but with our families and we were going to ask the Lord to bless our church with a heart of prayer. The title of my message this morning is, Let Us Pray. And the last thing that I want to do in these next couple of weeks is guilt you into prayer. But if nothing else works, I'll resort to that. I want to invite you into prayer. I want you to see the invitation that God himself has made to you to entice you to pray as an individual. Because I believe that our church will become a praying church when you become a praying individual. The health of our church is not going to be solely determined by, uh, upon us collectively, but us individually. Just as any chain's linkest, or weakest link is just that, the weakest link. And so we want to encourage you personally to bring that prayer life publicly. Now, there's many different reasons why people don't pray. If I were to ask you this morning, do you think prayer is an important part of your Christian life, I'm sure all of your hands would go up. We all agree with that. If I were then to ask, is your prayer life where you believe you, it should be, many of your hands may stay up until I ask the next following qualifying question. Do you believe your prayer life is where God would have it to be? Now, let me give you a little bit of an example. You may say to yourself, my prayer life is great. I pray three times a day. Yeah, but if your prayer is starting those three times a day, dear Lord, thank you for our food. I think God wants you to go a little deeper. You may be praying three times a day, and we're thankful for that, but the prayer lives that I see within the lives of the individuals of the Bible and those throughout church history who really were dynamic in their prayer lives and in their ability to be used by God went much deeper than just, Lord, thank you for this food. Baylor University did a study and asked Christians why they don't pray. I thought this was a very interesting study to consider. What they discovered was this. Most Christians feel guilty when the subject of prayer is brought up. We believe in the power and the importance of prayer, but we just don't seem to do it enough. Our churches suffer from prayer anemia and spiritual malnutrition. Why? Well, let's be honest about it. We don't pray enough because we don't want to enough. And they went on to list five reasons that they discovered that Christians don't pray. The first of those five is probably one that some can identify with. We don't want anything from God. Too many people lead satisfied lives, they state, complacent lives. Other than the occasional problem or two, things are going pretty well for us, 
and in our comfortable homes and in our churches, why pray a lot when we basically got everything we want? Number two, we don't care enough about others was their second reasoning. We say good morning and have a nice day to people at work and at church. And we uh, commiserate with our neighbors about the yard and the weather. But all of that goes about that far. We don't care enough about our others to go beyond that bland superficiality so we don't pray for them very much. Many Christians think very small when it comes to their prayer life. Our world revolves around the daily routine that we have, television, minor aches and pains, and visits to restaurants and malls. Not much to pray about here. The fourth reason was, well, we just don't want to get involved. We pay the pastor to run the church, the missionaries to evangelize, and the government to take care of the poor. They've got all those things well covered at hand, so why pray? These are actual reasons. The last one is the one I like. We're afraid God will respond. (laughs) If we do pray about something and God happens to respond, then we really are on the spot, aren't we? What if God wants to use us personally in answering the prayer? Our comfortable lives may become interrupted by the answered prayer from God. They concluded by writing this, and you can tell a college student wrote this, Ouch! The truth smarts, doesn't it? None of us like to be reminded of our complacency and our self-sufficiency. Pastor Greg Laurie put it this way. He said he believed that most did not pray for three specific reasons. We don't believe that we have the time. We don't think it's important enough. And we don't believe that it makes any difference. First of all, when it comes to time, do you realize that we have now discovered that Americans spend 63.5 billion minutes on social networking and blogs per month? Think about that. For the individual, that sums up to two hours and six minutes per day. And we're going to tell God that we don't have enough time. Secondly, prayer, is is it really necessary? Well, I like what Pastor Greg went on to say. He looked at the life of Jesus. And how often do we find Jesus going through the Gospels, we're reading through it, and all of a sudden he had a break away from the disciples, didn't he? And he went and he, he was alone with his father. And he prayed. If it was important and necessary for Jesus, how important and necessary is it for you and I? And lastly, does prayer make a difference? Prayer is not for me to obtain my will in heaven, but to allow God to exercise his will on earth. That's the foundational principle of prayer. Not to get my will done, but to have the Lord's will done in and through me. As Greg followed up this, he he wrote this, prayer is not magic. It isn't simply submitting a grocery list to God. Remember that our Father is in heaven and we are here on this earth. But as his children, we can be confident that he wants to bless, use, guide, and provide for us. Perhaps you have not because you ask not, Greg says. And then he goes on to ask a question. How is your prayer life? Do you realize that what breathing is to our physical lives, prayer is to our spiritual lives? And that's true. If we just take biblical examples, one right after another, prayer wasn't the last option. It was always the first uh, choice. 
And they prayed as naturally as if it were breathing. If prayer has become foreign to us, if prayer is anything more than natural as breathing to us, then prayer is in the wrong place in our Christian lives. Prayer is that opportunity that we get to commune with the God of all creation. It's that point where we can enter into the throne room of God and sit with our Father and talk with Him, converse with Him. And why is it that when an individual sits and talks to God, they call it prayer, but when we sit and wait for God to talk to us, they call it schizophrenia? Why is that? Is He not the God of all creation? Does he not love his children? Hasn't he numerous times through the New Testament invited us to come and to spend time with him in prayer? When Jesus came and he cleared out the money changers, when he saw the horrific injustice that the merchants were making of the temple square, as he turned over the tables, as he cleaned out the money changers, he said, my Father's house will be known to be a house of prayer. I want to entice you to pray. I want to invite you to pray. And also as we continue on, I want to show you what you are missing by not cultivating a healthy prayer life with God. You're missing out. Just recently, my family and I went to Washington, D.C., and as we were walking the streets of Washington, D.C., absolutely amazed by the buildings and the structure and so forth, seeing all the sites that were to be had, going to, to the numerous buildings of the Smithsonian uh, Museum, looking at different things one right after another, we finally made our way, I think it was actually the first day that we were there, to the White House. And as we were standing, we first looked from the front, and of course it was guarded by guards and they had military guards on tops and on top of the roof and so forth. We then went around to the back. I don't know what we were thinking. Maybe the Obamas were cooking out and maybe we could wave from the street. I don't know. But as we were standing there, we were looking there, and I realized that, wow, there was just no way that I could even go in and introduce myself to the President of the United States of America. And as I was walking home, I realized that that separation that I have with the leader of our land doesn't exist with the Creator God, the God of all things. That I can go to Him at any time of the day or night, and He's never too busy. I can pray while I'm walking, while I'm driving. I can pray and speak with God at any time, and He never shuts the door. I don't need an appointment. I don't need to be announced. He already knows that I'm coming before I come. And he already knows what I'm in need of before I even ask. And yet I felt so low because how rarely I took advantage of that incredible opportunity. We have a privilege like none other. And that is the privilege to pray. It is a privilege and that's the way I'd like to go about it, from this point on, it's a privilege. Now will we take advantage of that privilege? When I speak to most people today, there are one of two things that I hear from them concerning their prayer lives. The first is, I really don't know how to pray. And it's funny because the people who tell me that are some of the most talkative, gabby people that I've ever met. Really? 
You don't know how to pray? That surprises me. That confounds me. You've asked me four questions and you haven't stopped talking for a half hour. I haven't answered one. The second issue that I find that people have is that, does God really want me to pray? God is waiting to hear from you. You're his kids. And our dad loves spending time with his kids. Loves it. And I want to bring your attention to a passage of Scripture that's found in one of the greatest sermons ever given. It, is, it was given by Jesus Christ himself. And in the midst of this dynamic sermon, he begins with the instructions on how to pray, which we'll look at next time. But I want to proceed it by allowing you to know that God wants you to pray. He's inviting you to pray. He is asking you to come and to spend time with him and to talk with him. Let's read these verses together, starting in chapter 7, verse 7. Jesus speaking, as he's teaching the people, and he says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For every one who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be open. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for a bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will you give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father, or your Father who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? I don't find one element of guilt within this entire passage. It's, it's enticement, it's invitation. He's asking us to ask God. Jesus taught them how to pray, specifically which we'll look at next time. And now he is telling them in the course of this discourse that he is inviting them to pray. God wants to hear from you. And he begins with the word, three-letter words. Sometimes the smallest words in the Bible have the biggest impact on the lives of the individual. And five times he uses this word, ask. Ask. It's in the imperative form. It's ask and keep on asking. It's meant to be done continuously. This invitation isn't a one-off. It is a continuous, come to me and ask. Five times he uses that word here. As one wrote, he says, Jesus tells us to ask, and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened unto you. So that we don't miss his point, our Lord uses the word ask five times in this passage. Ask, says the Lord. He doesn't say beg. He merely says ask. This can only mean that God is not waiting for us to bang down his heavenly door and implore him, through, uh, though there is the issue of persistence in prayer. The real issue is this. We have not because we ask not. Simply ask over the last 20 years of me serving as your pastor, I often am approached by people who are going through very difficult problems. 
And in the course of them trying to explain the problem and the difficulty in which they face and then ask for some kind of wisdom to see themselves through or to resolve their problem altogether, I discover within the conversation that they never went to God and asked Him first. I said, I appreciate the respect and esteem you, may, you must be giving me here at this point to come to me first before you would go to the God of all creation with the problem that you have. Why has it that prayer has become the last resort with so many of us rather than the first option? I've also had those tell me over the years that I guess that my problem is so severe all that there's left to do is pray. Well, maybe if you prayed first, your problem wouldn't have gotten that severe. Prayer is never the last option. It is always the first choice for you and I. Now, God uses three imperatives there in a row. Ask, seek, and knock. If you take the first letter of all three words, what word does it spell out? Ask. He wants you to get it clear. He wants you to ask. He is inviting you to come. And in each time, there is a degree of intensity that is continuing to rise. We start by asking. Second, we seek Him out. And third, we knock, we go to the door and knock directly. What is Jesus modeling for us here? Well, he's actually paralleling an account of a way a person would approach an important person of that time. Every village and town had magistrates living there within them. And it was improper for a person to go to the magistrate's house directly. There was protocol. And the first protocol was to come to the fence of the magistrate's house and to ask the person sitting there if they could be introduced to the magistrate. Could they come in to the magistrate's presence? If the magistrate said no, that person then could walk around the perimeter of the fence to see if the magistrate was outside the home and yell from across the fence to the magistrate. But no one would ever think of going in unannounced and knock on the door. But God is saying, come and ask. Hey, come and seek me around. Come and knock on my door. I am here for you. So what they couldn't do with the magistrates, just as I couldn't do with the president, God is saying, you can fully do it with me. Just come. Ask. Seek. Knock. One wrote it this way. Ask means to pray with humility and consciousness of need. Seek means to pray and to be active in the pursuing of God's will. Knock seems to point towards direct persistence in our prayers. When we find this, we discover then that the very next element that we must deal with is the fact that God now relates us to children. He wants to remind us that if we as imperfect people can treat our children properly, our Heavenly Father can treat us even more properly. But He wants them to know that they are His children. And being a child of God gives you privilege. It gives you a place of prominence. As Paul wrote in Romans eight fourteen through 15 For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you do not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as a son by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Understanding 
That as fathers and mothers, we want good things for our children, so does God want good things for us. And as his child, we can go boldly into the throne room of grace at any time to be in his presence. We can ask, we can seek, we can knock, and the door is always open to us. It's an incredible, incredible aspect of our Christian life. And as we move forward, we see that there are two very, very important things that God wants us to know from verse 8. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be open. There are two things I want you to take away from verse 8. Number one, prayer is comprehensive. Everyone is invited to come and pray. Now, who does that everyone represent? His kids. Those who are his. God is not responsible for those who deny him. God is not obligated to answer the prayers of those who do not know him. I kind of illustrated this way. Growing up in the suburb that I did, one of the highlights of a summer day was the hearing of that bells on the good humor truck coming around the corner. Later, as it, that was in the 70s, later as, as we got into the 80s, it was some creepy guy in a big van playing ACDC. But the same principle was there. It was the ice cream truck. And we didn't matter where we were, once we heard that sound, that the ice cream truck was coming, we would, kids would come out of all the homes, it was like, and just converge on this one spot. You didn't even know there were so many kids in that neighborhood until the ice cream truck was there. And then you're convinced that they were kids from other countries because you're like, where did you come from? You don't live on this block. You know, this is our ice cream. Get out of here, kid. You bother me. And every time there were kids over at my house, my dad was always so gracious that he heard the ice cream truck. He, oh, he just opened the gate and we all went running out to the ice cream truck. And then he proceeded to buy us ice cream. And he didn't just buy it for myself, but he bought it for the other kids also. He wasn't obligated to. He had no responsibility to. He could have looked at my friends and said, hey, go hit up your parents, pal. I'm not paying for your ice cream. But he didn't do that. If God answers the prayer of a non-believer, it's because of his grace and his kindness and his love. But he's not obligated to. But for all of us who are part of the everyone who is his child, he is giving us a promise here, a promise I want you to understand. Anyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, it will be open to him. As one wrote concerning this, one word is particularly crucial in this verse, everyone. When it comes to hearing his children, God's ears are not selective. He does not listen to some special somebodies like pastors or prayer warriors or Christian workers or writers. He hears everyone. That word fairly jumps off the page. For everyone who asks, God hears. But also know that there's a certainty in our prayer. And I think this discourages many that there's a certainty that God is desiring to answer our prayers. But according to His will, the answer may be yes, no, or wait. Wait's the hardest, often. But God wants to answer His kids' prayers. 
in the certainty, Dr. David Jeremiah went on to write, Jesus not only invites everyone to pray, he says that everyone who asks receives, and everyone who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be open. This is an ironclad promise, he went on to say. As Andrew Murray wrote in his book, Ask and ye shall receive, everyone that asks receives. This is a fixed eternal law of the kingdom. If you ask and receive not, it is because there is something amiss or wanting in the prayer. Hold on, let the Word and the Spirit teach you to pray aright. But do not let go of the confidence He seeks to waken. Everyone who asks receives. Let every learner in the school of Christ therefore take the Master's words in in simplicity. Let us beware of weakening the Word with our human wisdom. If you are a child of God, know with certainty that your Heavenly Father wants to answer your prayers. Today, many, I am convinced, in my conversations with people, have ceased in their prayer lives because it is something that God may not have them praying for. They're praying for something that God has not led them to pray for. It is something maybe outside of His will, something outside of the mandate of His his Scriptures. And they don't understand why God is not answering God is not answering those prayers because he knows that those prayers will harm us rather than help us. And it's important for us to be in the Word of God to formulate our prayers. I often, when I read a text of Scripture, will come to a point and discover that this text needs my prayer attention. Maybe it's something that God wants to write in my heart. Maybe it's an aspect of my life that is not Uh, perfectly aligned with the Word of God. Maybe it's an expectation that I placed upon God that He never placed upon Himself, and I need to write. Often when God does not answer our prayers, we grow discouraged and we cease praying, but I say, keep praying. Search the Word of God. Search the Scriptures daily and pray accordingly. Andrew Murray went on and wrote this, and I agree with him wholeheartedly. If there is one thing that I think the church needs to learn, it is that God means prayer to have an answer. And that it hath the not entered into the heart of man to conceive what God will do for his child, who gives himself to believe that his prayers will be heard. After we had our daughter, something happened to me. I don't know what it was. God changed me in so many different ways. First of all, I didn't think I could love as much as I loved the moment I held her in my hands. Changed my heart. I always thought that I wanted a boy, and then I held a girl in my arms, and I'm like, Lord, you knew what was perfect for me. And as we brought her home, and as she would sleep in her crib, I found something very interesting that would occur. I could not sleep through the night without hearing everything that happened in that crib. Dina, dead to the world. I have to be truthful, right? It's church. Dina's a fantastic mother. And she's not here, so I got away with that one. Everything Autumn did, I heard. She would turn in her crib, I would hear it. 
She would throw one of her toys outside the crib. I would hear it. Every little thing she did, I heard. In the morning when she got up, because it was time to get up for her, I heard it. And I said, Lord, this must be something that you have blessed me with, because I used to sleep right through the night. I never awoken to anything. A freight train could have gone through my house, and I wouldn't have even thought about it twice. Now I've got this little 10-pound girl in this other room, and any way she stirs, I hear it. And if she's in need of attention, I was there in a heartbeat. I can only imagine our Father with us. He hears it all. He knows what we're in need of before we ask. He knows when we're in trouble. He knows when we are, are, are drowning in difficulties and overwhelmed by our circumstances. He knows before we even come to him. And it's at those moments he just wants us to ask. And asking, now he wants you to know and be confident that he is there, that he hears you, and that he cares. How much more of an enticement to prayer can that be? If this wasn't enough, look at the illustration that God uses. Verse 9. Now, which of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? These were basic necessities for any growing child in that society. Remember, it was Satan who told Jesus that he could take this rock and make it a loaf of bread. Many of the stones there in Galilee would have looked like loaves of bread, but if a child asked their father for a loaf of bread and was given a stone, it would be completely useless to them, wouldn't it? The serpent is more dangerous and harmful to them. In the fishing villages in town, when they drag their nets for fish, often they would catch very poisonous snakes within the nets along with the fish. And it was the fisherman's job to pick through the net to make sure that there were only fish within that net. If a child ran to the net of his father to reach in and to grab a fish, it is possible that that child would have been bit by that serpent and possibly have died. The caring of the Father is demonstrated here in the giving of the bread, in the giving of the fish, two of the most basic elements for an individual's personal health. Jesus says, says, if you being evil know how to treat your children in such a good manner, not giving them anything useless, not giving them anything that would harm them, how much more your heavenly Father who is perfect would give you of these things to those who ask. So when we pray, let us not expect something that's useless. When we pray, let us not expect something that is harmful to us. But let us, let us know that the heavenly Father in whom we pray for is good, and he likes to give good things to those who ask of him. As one wrote, he said, Jesus says, hear me now. Listen closely. You're nowhere as good as God. In fact, you are evil in comparison. And yet, you would never think of doing such a thing 
to your son, how could you ever dream that God, who is good, would treat you like that? I'm sure that no father reading this book would treat his son or daughter so horribly. Neither would any mother. Most of us want to do the best that we can for our kids. If they ask us for something that is reasonable and we think it's good for them, we will grant their request. Growing up, I, my father was a disciplinarian. Maybe you can identify with that. My dad was a principal in the city of Chicago for over 30 years. And he was a great man. Uh, he led his school very well. The teachers respected him highly. The students feared him with respect. Even when they wrote graffiti about him, they always called him Mr. Benz. They wouldn't even slur him in that regard. I remember one time when growing up, I know I could always count on my dad. He was a great provider. He was a good dad. And I used to be one of those kids that always asked for several drinks of water before going to bed. And of course, being a little boy, you have drinks of water. What do you have to do naturally? Go to the bathroom. So what I would do is I would ask my dad for a drink of water, then I would run into their bedroom, I'd use the little boy's room, and I'd come running back out and ask for another drink of water. I was empty, I needed more. And I kept going back and forth, back and forth, and one night I said to my dad, Dad, I want another drink of water. And he goes, you better settle down, son. If I have to come in there one more time and give you a spanking because you're not going to bed, I'll do that. I said, Dad? He said, Yes. I said, well, when you come here to give me a spanking, will you bring me a glass of water? I always knew that I could count on my dad. I know many today, unfortunately, cannot. Many have had poor experiences with their fathers growing up, and it's hard to transfer them over to God. But God assures us in his word countless numbers of times that he is someone that you can depend upon completely. And if you go to him and ask him for something that is reasonable, he will answer according to his will, plan, and purposes. There's three things I want you to notice from, your, from our text this morning about prayer as we get into this together as we go further. I wanted to set the stage this morning to let you know how inviting God is to you to come and to pray. Should we reverence him? Absolutely. Is he our heavenly father, the sovereign God of all the universe? Absolutely he is. He also has a tender heart towards his kids. He loves to show mercy and grace. He loves to pour out his love upon his kids through Christ. He loves when we come and spend time with him at any time of the day or night. I don't see my dad as often anymore because I, of course, married and moved out and have my own family. And every time I go over there, I can't believe how happy my dad is to see me. He goes, I don't see you enough, son. I wish to see you even more. Come by, spend time with me, talk with me. That's our God. And once you have this picture of God that is profiled for us and painted by the text of Scripture. When you kneel down to begin to pray, you understand the environment in which you're entering. There's no surprise. You don't have to wonder how God is going to react. 
There's no discussion here of perfection. Some people believe that I've got to be perfect before I pray. You'll never be perfect. So if you're waiting for that, please, please cease and just start to pray. The invitation is broad. It is for everyone who will ask. For my first point in conclusion and wrapping this up, God asks us to pray personally. Him who asks. Notice how it's in the personal form there. Collective prayer is great, but the collective prayer will only be as strong as the individual personal prayer of the person. How's your personal prayer life? Now that you know God is so inviting, what will you do to ask of Him on a daily basis? To talk with Him on a daily basis? To speak with Him on a daily basis? Personally, let us apply what we are reading here and accept the invitation that God has offered to us. Number two, pray particularly. Pray specifically. Often when we find ourselves in need here at this church, we will go to God before we go to the congregation with that need. It is something we've been doing for 20 years now. And we will specifically pray for the need in which we have that very few people know about, that very few people are aware of, and then all of a sudden when God answers that prayer, you're astonished. One of the best things that I ever started to do to enhance my prayer life was to keep a prayer journal. My wife encouraged me to do it. You know, the one that sleeps through the night when I get up and take care of the kid? That one? She's had prayer journals since the day we got married. And the other day, usually around our anniversary, we'll read some of those prayer journals when we first started out. And to see how God has answered the prayer time and time and time again. The one that's always so miraculous to us was when we first discovered that Dina was going to have a child. Both Dina and I, up until that point, had very well-paying jobs. But then God had led me into ministry, which many of you know, it's sometimes feast or famine. And we had very little money. We were five years into our marriage, and God then decided to bless us with a child. Dina came home, and she had a little jersey with the, our last name on the back of it, and says, you're going to be a dad. And me being the caring, responsible, loving uh, husband, I said, honey, I'm sorry, but it's not in the budget. That was my first words out of my mouth. And that woman is still married to me. She's a saint. And financially, it was very tough. We didn't have health insurance at that moment. And we knew no one was going to take us now because of that and other things. And so we we were just going to rely on God. And as we were going through each and every appointment, the doctor let us pay a little bit more. And we always had the amount to be given until it came to the very last appointment. And we owed $100 more. And we didn't have $100 more. And we prayed. And Dina prayed. And as Dina was trying to keep herself busy, as she was praying, she was going through our curio cabinet and found the picture of our wedding album. So she decided to look through it. 
And as she was looking through it, she saw that in the back of it there was a card that was not open from our wedding. And she said, oh, we missed one. And so she opened the card and she, she read it and she said, and the card said, well, we hope this uh, will help you in your time of need. And there was one $100 bill in that card. Do I believe God answers prayer? You bet I do. I've seen it over and over and over and over and over again. Pray specifically. Nothing wrong with that. God will answer accordingly. And number three, and we're going to get into this one more, but pray persistently. Keep asking. Keep asking God. You're not bothering Him. Keep asking and allow your prayers to be heard by our Heavenly Father. So pray personally, pray particularly, and pray persistently. But in all cases, pray. For the door is open to all of us to pray. This invitation is merely of one that we find to come and to ask and to pray. Pray without ceasing, Paul writes. You have not because you ask not, James writes. Pray. Simply pray. Every time I talk on this subject of prayer, I always think of the subject of dieting. I don't know why it is. It's because I think there is so much information out there about dieting that we know everything about nutrition that we need to know and more. But we know that none of those diets are going to do us any good unless we apply them and work through the process. Today, all I want you to know is that God has invited you to come and pray. It is up to you and I now to accept that invitation and to come and to pray. In the morning, in the evening, during the course of the day. If you're married, pray with your wife. Pray with your husband. If you have children, pray together as a family. As Dean and I were out for dinner and we prayed together, an older gentleman who saw us praying stopped by our table and said, the family who prays together stays together. I agree. Pray. I can't force you. I'm not going to strong arm you. But pray. 